Hey everyone, it's me, Ben. Uh, I won't take too much of your time because this is a really fun panel uh, that you're about to listen to. But I just want to tell you about a couple of things. One is the Michelangelo Screenwriting Program. Uh, go to michelangeloscreenwriting.com. My writing partner and I are going to Italy. We are going to workshop your script with you. It's pricey, but it's not that pricey, and it's super fun. Um, it's a great experience. You live in this little village in Italy, and you talk about writing, and you write for two weeks. Uh, so please come join us for that. It's michelangeloscreenwriting.com. Um, the other thing is for you to check out our Facebook page. It's the best way to get in touch with me, to tell me who you want to hear on these panels. We have a lot of fun ones coming up, but I know there's stuff out there that you want to hear that I haven't necessarily thought of. So go to facebook.com slash panel. That is all. Enjoy this. Uh, and if you do enjoy it, please do me a favor and leave a review on iTunes. Uh, it always helps in the rankings, which helps 826LA and helps me bring you uh, more cool people to listen to. Thanks. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on 826LA, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program and the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. Uh, the writer-director of the independent film Ceremony, our first panelist, has directed episodes of New Girl, Wayne Days, and The New Normal. Please welcome Max Winkler. With a background in journalism, primarily with MTV, having produced a number of documentaries and worked in their news division, uh, as well as being an on-air personality. Uh, our next panelist currently works as a screen and television writer, uh, most recently as a part of the ill-fated first season of The Newsroom. <laughs> Please welcome Gideon Yago. Uh, having worked her way up from writer's assistant on The Unit, she's most recently been on the staff of Private Practice and is currently shooting her very funny pilot script, although she just told me they finished shooting their very funny pilot script. Trophy wife, please welcome Emily Halpern. A lot of fans here. I asked people to come and cheer for me. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. Uh, And finally, with a list of comedy credits that include Malcolm in the Middle... Samantha Who, and Sons of Tucson, our final panelist, is the co-creator of the web series Full Nelson and joined the staff of Community in Season 2, where he's the credited writer on some of our favorite episodes, including Mixology Certification and Pillows and Blankets. Uh, please welcome Andy Bobro. Hi, guys. Thank you all for being here. Um, let's, I, I warned you back in the green room, we were going to jump right into talking about this pilot season. 
Um, because the past like two years have been insane for trying to make pilots, for trying to sell pilots, for trying to get staffed on shows that go. Um, and each of you had pilots uh, that were in development this year. And Emily, you got to make yours. We did. We got to make ours. <laughs> um, why don't you tell us, why don't we start with you and tell us a little bit about the process and whether it was a typical uh, experience in pilot making uh, and how it all went. And then we'll, we'll move on to these guys. Sure. Ours was... Um I think it was atypical in that we shot early, which is why we just finished shooting, um, and that was due to a number of factors, but uh, I think mainly it was that our main actress was pregnant, and so we needed to shoot <laughs> before she started showing. Um, but that worked, I think, in retrospect, I feel like in many ways it worked in our favor, and that now that we're watching sort of the pilot process, we were able to avoid that sort of feeding frenzy of casting and trying to, trying to crew yeah. up with everybody. We were sort of doing it with the luxury of time that we might not have appreciated at the time, but I think it um, it served us well. But in general, we had a good uh, a good experience. It was a project we'd been working on for a long time. And you were working on it with another writer, yes, with a partner, yes, right? Yes, with my uh, writing partner, Sarah Haskins. And mm-hmm. the uh, it's called Trophy Wife, and it's uh, loosely based on her life. So she gave generously to our <laughs> <laughs> yeah to our um, material. But uh, no, it, it really was a was. Um, a positive experience, and we got sort of a great cast and director and group of people. And and in general, I feel like you hear so many nightmare stories, yeah. but but um, thus far, not quite. I mean, you know, time will tell. But uh, I feel like we were lucky in that it was a, a good collaboration. We had great producers and um, you know support from the studio and the network, which really helped push it through. Because this is a project we've had for about a year and a half. Well, this is what I was going to ask. Yeah. So so what what shape was it in when you did you pitch it? Did you write it on spec? How did you guys go about about launching the project? We pitched it. Last year, and for it was for last season's development at ABC, and they um, passed on the project that year. And we thought that it was um, potentially dead in the water. And then this year, we had two producers, Lee Eisenberg and Jude Stepanitsky, who who really championed it. And then our uh, ABC Studios was really championing it, and and kept sending it out. And then Malin Ackerman. Was it, uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, was no, it please. a script at that point when they're yes. championing? Okay, so yeah, it, that's easier to get. Yes, that. exactly. <laughs> um, it it was a script, and they, they put it into Malin's hands, and she liked it, and, and I think ABC was particularly interested in working with her, and, and so that really gave it kind of a new life, and we were able to make it this year. Well, that's great. And so, so you kind of, you had this script. Were you then flooded with notes once it was clear that, you know, this was a script that was being invested in? We were, to some, to some extent, we were. I, I mean, I think just um, as far as that's part of the process, and, you know, once they the network and the studio were really invested, then I think it's really everybody wants the project to succeed. And, and mm-hmm. I think so, you know, we were, but now having been through it, I also think uh, we were lucky in that I, I feel like for the most part, the notes really improved the script. I think That's it's stronger true. now than it was when we started. And wow. um, yeah, I really, <laughs> yeah. I know, we'll maybe, it seems feels, um, maybe that's not always the case, but we, um, we feel pretty lucky. That's I mean, true. we'll see. Ask me in June. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so you guys are done shooting and is it, Together, how is it looking? You're happy with how it looked? We really are. I That's feel great. like this is not the most like. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> sometimes it happens. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so you, so you probably want, you can't toot your own horn, and I haven't even read it, but I can say yeah. just like look, when you look at log lines and read casting. Mm-hmm. It seems like a it's it seems like one of the projects that's obviously rising to the top. Absolutely. You've got a great cast. Thank yeah. you. Well, and, and it is a great script. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I hope so. We'll see. 
<laughs> we'll get you to complain about something in a I will, bit. I will. Uh, Andy, something. let's move over to I'm you. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us about your experience this past year with development. Uh, first of all, I'm fighting the urge to, to despise Emily because... Um, <laughs> Uh, because she made a pilot, and I, I wrote one that uh, also at ABC that they chose not to make. Um, I didn't mean to seat you next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you look at, uh, <laughs> if you ever if you ever read this time of year, we're all trying not to read Deadline Hollywood, and we're all reading it. And if you look at the comments, like anytime there's news about a pilot, there's like there's always a couple like. Yay, Emily! And those are people who you've worked with, and, who, you know, and, there's, a, and there's, there's a bunch of people who I just imagine they're sitting in the in the lounge at the WGA, and they're like, I can't. Uh, Couldn't <laughs> happen to a worse person. Yeah, yeah or, or nothing. They won't get personal if they don't know you, but they'll be like, sounds like the kind of drivel that I would never watch. You know, just. That's <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it helps. Probably, I'm now. I'm guessing on Emily's behalf that because the, the lesson that I learned two years ago, I got to make a pilot, and I hope I get to. You know, I mean, I hope I sell a show and 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 have some kind of creative fulfillment in my life. <laughs> but um, uh, one of the things I learned was that uh, that I really under that I really did not like any uh, any number of people told me. Uh, casting is important. Uh, 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 not just casting is important, but names are important. And I heard it, but I didn't really internalize it until I got through the process and realized, yeah. oh, if I had had... And uh, also, <laughs> that, that year, you know, when you start the process, you'll sit down with casting people with the, at the network and the studio, and they'll give you a, like a wish list, or you'll, come, you'll put together a wish list of, this is who we would get if, if we could. And it'll be, sometimes it'll just be like movie stars... But it's to get everyone thinking the right way. And Malin Ackerman she hasn't done TV. Yeah, she hasn't, yeah. And everyone's been waiting for her. And she was the top of my list two years ago when I made a pilot. And it was like, you know, the call gets made. And it's like, not interested in TV. So God bless you. You <laughs> no, found something you. that you thank liked. You. It's amazing. But we certainly felt that. When we, the pilot order we got was a cast contingent pilot order. Uh-huh. And it was like, from the moment we had her, the momentum really, it, it sort of took off from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. You do. And I also... I would bet I'm just interviewing Emily at this point I would bet that when you have and Bradley Whitford is your other star mm-hmm. when you have those two I would guess that the notes the, the, the notes stop being so desperate uh, because everyone can now picture this as a show that they would, you know, mm-hmm. they can picture the billboard, they can picture what it's going to look like in in Entertainment Weekly. They, mm-hmm. they, they, like, they stop overthinking the script. Maybe, maybe it's wishful thinking. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I do. I do think having this this strong cast, and we had, you know, Marsha Gay Harden and Michaela Watkins, and just it really rounded out itself out nicely. I feel like the yeah. need to then mention everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but. Um, I don't know. I don't know that it stopped the note, but I, but I, yeah, I think that every step of the way, it, if it gives people you and the studio and the network confidence, that it. It's, I guess it was my way of to, to, to bring it back to me, of course, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you started asking me about my pilot, and then I, then I shifted it. Uh, it's that the, you know the process does. It, it's like you're pitching it, and you're you're throwing out names. You're doing whatever you can to get people to imagine it, but the, the you know. Um, it's just human nature. It's hard to imagine something that hasn't been that you that you can't see, uh, and so the more real it gets, the easier it gets. The, the more everyone starts to jump on the train. And mm-hmm. some, uh, no, I think that's true. I also think it starts off sometimes in the very unreal. It's like Meryl Streep would be good. It's like, <laughs> right. Yeah, she'd be great. She'd be Not interested in TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, uh, but so, tell us about your experience. Well, the show here. that I because you actually did have some weight behind you. I mean, you were working with a production company, right? Uh, who, with uh, uh, at Sony, I worked with the, uh, uh, Will Gluck, who is yeah. a director, and who's yes, uh, 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 yeah, he's okay, I guess. <laughs> but he also um, sold a bunch of pilots in addition. He sold a bunch of pilots, so and like, um, you know. uh, so yeah, he had a great year, and I wasn't part of it. So whatever, I you guess part I of it let initially. down Team Gluck this year. <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, this started with um, yeah, I had a, a, a script deal with Sony, which is the kind of thing where they say we'll co- we will commit to paying you for a script. Uh, you got to do a little dance for us, pitch us some ideas. We'll settle an idea. We'll take it to networks. So it's a kind of thing that sounds sounds like oh, I'm going to get paid no matter what. But it, you, they they always find ways to. You're not going to get paid until a network pit buys the pitch and you go in, and you get into business with someone. So I had this deal, and you know, whatever time of year, uh, like it's August, September, I guess, when you you start having meetings with a studio and they say, "What do you got? Do you, you know, do you want us to throw some ideas your way or whatever?" And I, of course, said, "I don't have anything." And they said, <laughs> at some point, um, Richie um, uh, Richie Schwartz, who's um, uh, Will Gluck's uh, uh, development executive, really great guy. Um, uh, uh, called and said, "We uh, I want you to have. I want you to meet with this guy. He is an interesting guy. He, we just talked to. He has a pitch. He's a director. He directs Tosh.0 oh. uh, So he directs comedy, but he also works as a policeman. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. No one, no one knows this, but the police in most cities have a reserve corps, just like the military does. And uh, so this guy, uh, Scott Sabielski, is a full-fledged uh, cop. Went through the academy. He works. He works one shift a week. He works one day a week. Uh, but he carries a gun and a badge. He's a cop. Um, and so he and I sat down, and, and, and Richie's pitch to me was, he said, you should talk to him, there's something there, there hasn't been a, a successful half hour about police work since Barney Miller. And I said, oh, wow, that means that it's time, that means we, oh, oh my God, I'm so in. Like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, because we've been through, it seems like comedy's a bit on the upswing in the last couple of years, uh, um, networks have been more open, networks have opened up new nights of comedy, NBC was down to just Thursday, and then they opened up Monday and Tuesday as well. So it seems like, there's more comedies, and when that happened, it, you know, I just and I heard this thing about Barney Miller, and I was like, oh, it seems natural that people are going to start expanding, th- th- dipping their toe in other waters instead of just doing family or um, new girl style, you know, single twenty somethings, Seinfeld. uh, Seinfelds and that kind of thing. So I, I thought, well, this is the year, and it turns out I, about six <laughs> other people had the same idea as me at the same time because yeah. we sold a pitch to ABC. Um, and ABC bought three other cop comedies uh, pitches, and Fox bought one, a really high-profile one that seems like a pretty good chance you'll be watching it in the fall with Andy Samberg. And there was some, other, there was like six. I think there were at least six. Yeah. So everyone looked at the landscape and said, "I think it's time for a half-hour cop comedy." Yeah. And uh, so I, that, I had one. Mine was a girl, mine was girl cop. There were only a couple girl cop comedies. Um, and that happened after I was, we started off thinking that we would tell Scott's story about a guy who works as a, like, part-time as a policeman and we want to do sort of a Bruce Wayne thing. Maybe a guy who's made some money, you know, it's an internet guy in his 30s or something, but he's kind of bored with life. And that's, that's an interesting pitch, I think. We, if you guys want that, go ahead. That's anyone listening. If anyone listening wants it. And then the first stumbling block to that was, well, then you need to, do you need to explain why this guy is not a full-time cop? I mean, it just got in the way. The idea that someone can work part-time as a police officer is not easy. Uh, and you sure don't want to explain that every week. Um, 
Uh, and then uh, half joking in an email, I, uh, sort of late in the process, I said to Richie, like, you know, if we just change this to like a 20-something Emma Stone type, we could probably just sell this. And he said, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how, that's how Girl Cop, my Girl Cop uh-huh. uh, show was born. I wanted, I've, I've labored my whole career to get a pitch that was two words, and I got one. Girl Cop. You get, you get it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't need to explain. I just wanted to walk in with a microphone and just drive. Girl cop. Um, so you developed it internally with uh, Richie and with Gluck's company and with Sony, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it came time to... Did you write it before pitching the network or did you just go and pitch no, it? No, no. We, we, uh, uh, we worked it up as a pitch and yeah. I'm really bad at that. Uh, but we took it to... We, but we should talk about that for a minute. Okay. We, it comes up almost every panel. Pitching yeah. is really hard. It sucks. It's, um, it's, it's terrible. How, how did you get through outside of saying girl cop and then running? I... <laughs> <laughs> um, there ought to be a there ought to be a like a, a someone should run a seminar where you can watch other writers pitch and you can watch them sweat because uh, it would I think it would make me feel a lot better about how bad I am at it or may, I don't know maybe everyone is actually better than me I don't, but I suspect not I don't think so um, but I think you would learn a lot about what it feels like to be an executive and sit there and, and have to like nod and smile. And, oh God, the scariest thing is that they have notepads and that they're writing stuff down while you're talking and you're like, what did you just what did you just write? What did I say? Yeah. <laughs> it's just what they're having for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Not too much about it. But I mean, they go, I go through, I, I don't know if this is the way you guys do it. I mean, I go through a general format that says like, here's the, here's the log line of the show. Here's, um, uh, here's why I came, why, why we're doing this idea, how I think I relate to it. What some whatever personal thing that you can bring to it, and then you just go. Here's the main character. You know, here's the characters. You describe the main character, and then you just and I just start pairing them off, and I say, here's their relationship. Here's these people's relationship. Here's how these people might. Here's a fight that these people might have. Here's a discussion these people might have, and I just try to pair them off, and then and then I try to talk about typical stories. But I, that's the hard. When you get to that part of the document, you're going like, fuck you. Why should I have to write? Why, I'm not going to write the season. I'm not going to write the season yet. You put, give me the money first. Um, yeah, a slow then, resentment builds so, up. Yeah, and then so in, what ends up happening for me is that I, I write this, this four or five page thing, and then I just kind of read it to them. And mm-hmm. that's only be, and, and the people at Sony said, you can do that. They said, we have writers who do that. And I'm like, okay, good, then I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm not going to speak extemporaneously wow. about it. <laughs> um, well, well, and they and they bought it, so it works. They did buy it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about more uh, a little more about what happened after that in a minute. Um, but Max, let's talk to you for a moment. Um, it must help in the pitching. Were, were you a part of pitching the show that you developed this year? Yeah, we. I had two this year that will oh. not be filmed. And um, <laughs> so I, was, I was a part You're of both friend. pitches, uh, with the exception of one pitch of an NBC. Uh, a show that ended up at NBC where my car ran out of gas on Pico, and that was the only one that I was not a part of. Uh, the, the one I knew about was the one with uh, Jake Johnson. Yes. And I was going to say, it must have been easier having an actor in the room to pitch stuff. Yeah, Jake has been kind of like a frequent collaborator of mine since we did this show called Clark and Michael together, like a really long time ago. That was like a, our, my first kind of taste of like serialized kind of television because it was an internet show. Like before, they were kind of real internet shows on, on uh, like CBS had actually kind of like a very un CBS like idea that they were going to do like original weird programming for the internet. They were going to have like a channel, and so and Jake came in there. And so I've always worked with Jake, and he was in my movie, and and we we had a show 
last season, then we had a show this season, and we'd had we'd built a familiarity with the company based on uh, we'd gotten very close last season. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of helps just because I feel like a lot of people who know or are familiar with either of our work know how much we like working together, and we genuinely make each other laugh. And so I think, like, mm-hmm. the pitching process, we always... Jake is, like, such a, like, masculine, like, unwriterly, like, Chicago, just, like, uh, animal that, like, he makes it feel, like, very unstiff. And, you know, he makes me laugh, and, and I sometimes make him laugh. So it was always... The fact that we enjoy being around each other, I think, always we made a point that we would always try to make pitching feel as unlike pitching as possible. So how did you guys go in uh, on this one project? Did you... The, what, this, what was prepared? What was... Uh, we, had, we had, like, a lot of practice, obviously, because this was our... We had, we, had, we had had movies that we had set up together mm-hmm. and, so we, and other shows. And we, there was basically, like, a second end. So we made a point that we were really not going to prepare for this one. We were just going to have, like, big ideas. And we had, like... A very unlike our idea, kind of like a high concept for a show, which is um, not something that normally comes to me. And um, there was little, you know, we just we hung out. It was it was um, we we hung out a lot. You know, we would have lunch or have drinks and talk about like what we wanted the show to be. We would talk. We had you know good producers and imagine who we really liked mm-hmm. who had similar kind of ideas to us. And uh, we had a great sort of guy who was working with us as kind of like a writer's assistant named Sam Boyd, um, who was amazing and uh, gave a lot of ideas. I'm like, Dick, neither Jake nor I really like working a, uh, like a, using our hands in any way whatsoever. So he, uh, he would write everything down. It was amazing. And, and feed us. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, and um, we just, we kept it really loose. We had like a really good relationship with the people at Fox and... Um, was very, yeah, was you, you had that advantage going Yeah, and in, I directed episodes to... of television for right. them, which was kind of easier uh, in, like, getting to know me just because, like, that's like a good... Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you still have to... You know, the pitch still rests on the idea and getting it across, and you guys yeah. are obviously able to do that. I think pitching television is easier, I think, than pitching a movie because, like, in a movie, they... And I, I'm very new to television. I, I, I've just kind of started, and it's kind of nice because I, I have kind of an obsessive personality in television. You officially, someone like taps you on the back and be like, no, 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 it's over. You need to give up right now. <laughs> it can't go any further than where you are right now. Like, you need to, like, you live on Shutter Island. Um, but, um, so, um, what was the question? Yeah, no, the pitching. So pitching is easy. So like we'd always like basically talk about like we'd go in and I, I'm going to give actually the greatest advice I ever got from pitching uh, came from Mitch Hurwitz, who obviously is a, the genius of geniuses. And, uh, and uh, we were working with him on something and, and we pitched him what we wanted to do, Jake and I. And he stopped us in the middle. We were talking, we were talking, we were talking. He goes, I'm going to give you an example. I go, okay. He goes, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you like sort of my best advice that I have for pitching. And he said, um, okay, so there's this girl I want to set you up. And now Jake and I are both in relationships based for, for the sake of the, for the idea. He goes, uh, I've got a girl we want to set you up with. We're like, okay, great. He's like, she's phenomenal. We're like, amazing. She's smart. She's funny. She went to Harvard. She does, ch- she's very, very involved with charity. She cooks. We're like, we're in. Like, we want to meet this girl. She's blonde. She's got blue eyes. She uh, is a hoarder, she's agoraphobic, and she's 700 pounds, but you're going to love her. <laughs> and the, the, the moral of that was like that we were already in, and then when you start, we were in at the, like, I've got a girl we want to set you up with, and she's great, and she's into charity, and she's, actually the charity was, got me out of it. But, um, <laughs> but 
and you know we were in it's like you start to talk too much and you start to give facts that may like these the people that are listening to these pitches are listening to like multiple pitches a day and their 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 brains don't necessarily think like writers otherwise they'd probably be writers um and the more information that you give, you start to confuse them. And if you can just keep it really simple and just talk about it on television, at least my experience, the big idea of what the show is and who the characters are, and then kind of breeze over what the pilot's going to be because the pilot's going to end up changing so much, probably for the worse, based on the development process. <laughs> um, and, but win them over just in the idea of saying, like, this is a show that we'd want to see. Like, we were really into this idea. And, like, for our, you know, two years ago, it was like, we're really, like, we're obsessed with the idea of Catalina Island. Because it's so weird, and no one I know has ever been there. So, like, what would it be like if, like, what would it be like? What would a show be like about the mayor of Catalina Island, who's an alcoholic? And they, and we basically had them with that, just because everyone's like, I don't know what that show would be, uh, you know. And like, he like tries to bring an NFL team to Catalina, no, and but all he can bring is like the WNBA. Needless to say, the show wasn't shot, but. Uh, but, and we didn't really get into the minutia of it. You know, we just talked about the big idea of what entertained us. And hopefully that entertained, you know. And especially in a comedy pitch. Yeah. I mean, the I've fact that you guys a, are I've laughing. i drama, so I'm, well, I'm, I'm We're going to hear about yeah. it in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that you guys were laughing, and I'm sure very funny in the room, like that goes a long way towards selling a comedy pitch. I think it, pro- I, I, it has in our experience. We've, I, I've been in hor- horrific, horrific pitches that... You know, I'm sure a lot of you know there's nothing worse in the world than that. And just knowing that you're tanking and not being able to speak, and like all of a sudden you're speaking in like tongues, and it's just like vile. Wait, tell us about a horrific pitch that you've been in. It was for. Uh, Let me this, guess. It was at CBS, right? No, I've never. Even, the they won't even let me in the gates at CBS. No. They have snipers. Um, um, it was a pitch for. Um, it was a pitch with my normal collaborator, this great writer named Matt Spicer, um, who had the who my pitch at NBC was with this year, and. Um, it was for this great Edward Gorey book called The Doubtful Guest. And we actually had, like, a great pitch. Like, it was, like, the only good pitch. I, we actually, like, knew how it should go. And it was great. And, like, we were, like... And it just, like, from the beginning, you just, like, see one of these, like, subhumans that you're pitching to. And it was just, like, <laughs> shocking. Like, I just, like, knew that it wasn't going to happen. Like, I'm right in the room. And then, like, I just started, like... It was like a woman under the influence or something. I just started like losing my mind slowly to the point where like, so, and I was like, like Spicer was talking. Spicer's like the straight man, and I was just like, like hysterically laughing at everything he was saying. It was like a, like a, an adult like drama about like child loss, and I couldn't stop laughing. And I just because I could, the guy was on his phone the whole time. It was crazy, and like you can't expect that much at it. You know, they're in these pitches, and like I don't, I would never do what they do. You know what I mean? Like it, it must be a hard job. It has to be a horrific time of year for them because they, like, when you are working with a studio and you get your pitch together and they give you notes and you think, oh, this is a stupid dance, and finally they say, okay, we're ready, we're ready to take it to networks, and then they're like, we can get a seat at the NBC table in four weeks. You know, it's like yeah. they're they're booking those meetings yeah. out like a like a fancy restaurant. Needless and, to say, this man was in the feature film business. Oh god! But um, so I can't give him that excuse. But I'm sure he'd had a bad day or something like that. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, that that that's it. So I, I felt like from then on, I made a point that like I wasn't going to look at pitching as like you know, like I think mainly what they look at when they see you is like they want to feel some shred of confidence like these people know how to tell the story you know and, and they they can they can they yeah. they know what they're doing and like you obviously do know what you're doing and if you let like the mind fuck of like 
being in that situation and like like being nervous like affect it would just you'd never forgive yourself if you allowed your nerves to like or like your intimidation of these people to affect like a genuinely good story that yeah. you got you have Absolutely. yeah there are enough factors working against you you yeah, don't, have to don't work let yourself. don't let the creative executives do it too <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about pitching a drama as you did this year Gideon uh, tell us about developing that that show it's totally different. It's like uh, Animal House and the other frat in Animal House. <laughs> come in, all the executives are in robes. Kevin Bacon is there. He's getting um, No, I mean it's it's entirely the same process. Um, I I mean I was listening to to what everybody was saying, and I think that there's a lot of really good wisdom. Um, I mean the we went in. I went in initially. I had an idea. I, I had a blind deal at ABC, and I had this thing that I was super jazzed about. Um, and uh, I came in and I kind of brought them the concept and I heard back from one of the executives who said, okay, listen, we, we will do this, but know that there is a bigger producer, a more high fo- profile project that's going to be coming in in a very similar terrain. So um, either come at us with your second or third or fourth best idea um, or, you know, the chances are you might get rolled over if both of you guys um, uh, deliver your pilot. Um, so I kind of went back to the well and, and, and worked with the producer that I was working with at the time and kind of pitched him a bunch of things that I thought, you know, this would just be a good, you know, with dramas, really everything's kind of a soap opera. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, where could we get together a good group of people like that would be fun to hang out with at eight o'clock at nine o'clock? And what do you also have in that environment where you can tell 22 hours of story? Um, you know, where there's some kind of procedural aspect to that, that where, where you can do that. And went in, I think the pitch itself was maybe 12 or 15 minutes. Um, the stuff that I watched to get myself psyched up was the scene in Reservoir Dogs where Tim <laughs> Roth, I don't know if you guys know, that you remember where like he's like an undercover cop, right? And in order to prove himself to all the, the jewel thieves, he's got to have a joke, right? So it's like you don't have to know word for word what the joke is. Um, you just have to know those moments in the joke that you can really possess as your own. And I think it's the same with the characters in the world. If you can go in there and you can sit across from the executives and, like, it's, it's daunting. It, you get nervous. Like, there's a lot riding on it. Sometimes there's good meetings. Sometimes there's bad meetings. Rejection fucking sucks. Um, but if you can go in there and tell it like it's a joke, like the best story that you know, um, it, you know, in my experience, I think that's that's like the the, the most successful way to do it. Yeah. Max disagrees. No, no, no I didn't know that this was going to make a sound. No, you're completely um, right. Yeah, no, I mean, the, I've heard it. The the same sort of advice being you're going in to recount a movie that you just saw that you yeah. have to tell someone about. Uh, and that movie just happens to be the, yeah. the show that you're pitching. Uh, although I found in, in pitching dramas... Um, the, those mechanisms, you know, whether it's the procedural element or the what does every episode look like is a little more important than it is in comedy where you can just kind of talk about these guys have a funny relationship because, you know, the stuff Andy was talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's good to go in with a couple ideas in your head of, like, what the really good episodes in the season are going to mm-hmm. look like. What are the ones that, if you had a chance to write this show, mm-hmm. that you would be dying to write? Um, you know, our concept that we fixed on um, was a little bit of kind of like, you know, if a bunch of kids took over a failing major American city, you know, what are the problems? Yeah, like both internally and amongst your lives and amongst your friends and also externally, you know, that could potentially happen in that situation. So, um, 
But that, I kind of, like, I didn't want to pitch. It was the same thing that, like, that sounds Max was awesome. talking about. <laughs> yeah. nice. Good luck. Uh, yeah, not every, every pitch, every show that didn't go really sounds awesome. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Wasn't there a reality show? Did you watch the reality show that was, like, the, the guy who did Survivor? Corey Booker? Yeah. Oh, no. There was a reality yeah. show about a bunch of kids who, like, took kids. over a city. Oh, you're oh, talking yes. about, like, where they're, like, kids they're actually, and they're, like, in the yeah. Western? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's also, if they could have done that on Catalina at the same time, we can, like, melt it. <laughs> 2014, guys. Like no one's been there. It could be a bunch of kids. Um, yeah, no, it was mostly, I like, I always, when I was working as a journalist, I always loved stories about, you know, people who were young who were doing amazing things. And I remember in 2000, there was this kid named Luke Ravenstall who at 26 became mayor of Pittsburgh. And it was like how, and literally turned this whole city around. And was his attitude, and what I thought was so cool was he's like, I'm not a career politician. Like, mm-hmm. fuck it. And um, same thing, like, you know, uh, Brick City, I thought it was what you were talking about. Sundance did this amazing documentary about Cory Booker, who I don't know if you guys amazing, ever... Yeah. yeah, he's a really dynamic guy, really interesting guy. So I thought, well, okay, well, you know, this is, this, this is dramatic. Like, this is, there's a potential for drama. Like, there's conflict, and there's always going to be... It's a David versus Goliath story. I like those. And... Um, well, it's also, I mean, it's a world that you know, right, that you've trod as a journalist. Well, well during my period as mayor of Catalina, yeah. Um, but I was so fucking blitzed because I was an alcoholic during the entire time. Yeah. So. Um, also a career politician. But it was cool. We, I mean, we tried to bring this NFL team in. It was, oh, it was dynamic. It was the WNBA. Yeah, it was, it was the WNBA. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think... I think, though, you, you try to find the universal in those experiences. You, you try to find what's really unique, which is um, what is it that brings weird people to work weird jobs? Because I think everybody goes to their job and is like, who the fuck are these people? Um, and uh, so if you can tap into that nicely and empathetically, um, you, can, you can put together potentially... Where is the, the former... Where is that guy, Luke uh, Ravens? Ravenstall now? Yeah. Um, he's... Uh, like he's doing like uh, he's like on the board of a bunch of companies in, in <laughs> Pittsburgh, but um, wow. same thing. He's like, um, this is really has nothing to do with writing. <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's he oversees development. He and he's so on a should bunch have said of, he's a career politician. He's a career yeah. politician. <laughs> he's a writer in Hollywood. <laughs> House of Cards too. Um, yeah. Uh, before we get into your individual backgrounds, I, I have some more pressing questions that I want to make sure we get to. Uh, and Andy, starting with you, you are on the community staff for the yeah. big changeover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you're the first community writer we've had since, since that. Since the whole thing? Yeah. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about being in the room uh, when the new guys took over. Uh, it's, you know, it's been a... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, th- I should say, I, I figured we edit you would this, ask. That. So, anything you want to take out is fine. Oh, it's, no, I'm, uh, the, um, you know, it wasn't like we just walked into the room and these new guys showed up. Uh, the, when when it was announced, they all wanted to meet with. They met with all of us uh, individually, yeah. uh, um, and uh, we were all. You know, t- uh, it was a. Believe me, the, the the experience of working there it's a hard place. It's a hard place to work. Dan Harmon is a, a genius and uh, a difficult person to work for, um, uh, and so there were plenty of times when I uh, thought him being gone would be the the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> and then when the news came out that he was fired, that they were going to keep doing the show, but without him, I was was really upset about that. Um, I just thought was, uh, of all shows, I mean, it's 
it's hard to say that any show could, you know, can can uh, should go on without its creator. But that one in particular, it's so deeply tied to his his own the way his his wires are crossed in his head and his own particular <laughs> voice that it was just like uh, I immediately thought, oh well, that's the, uh, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, who would want to be part of the what's destined to be the worst season of Community, right? Like, who, and that's the conversation that I have with my agents. I'm just like, I'm, are you, I've already lost. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter who these guys are. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter at all. It's just that this, the fans know who Dan Harmon is, and they they understand that he's responsible for the weirdest aspects of the show. And uh, so, you know, and the guys they are they are great guys. Moses Port and, and David Garasio, uh, great guys. And they, I I don't think they quite. You know, I, they were reluctant to take the job. Uh, you should probably you should have them on because I can't speak for them. I know that they were they were reluctant to take the job. I think anyone would be, um, and that uh, I don't know what caused them to finally say yes. Uh, probably a, a boatload of money. <laughs> my, would be my guess. And also probably the challenge that was what you know what ultimately uh, made me say yes was two things. One, I was on I was at the end of a three year deal on that. You know, when you make a deal, when you go get hired on a show on staff, uh, um, typically you sign for three years, and it's at the studio's discretion. But you sort of you sort of sign a piece of paper that says I'm not leaving you you can fire me but i'm i'm yours until you, you say i'm done and although it's obviously wiggle room because if i were to say to them i can't do this they wouldn't force me to write comedy <laughs> no andy write jokes <laughs> that's where the best stuff comes when you're forced to write comedy <laughs> so i obviously i could have said at that point to sony like uh, sorry not comfortable can't do this um but it would have required me asking out of this contract, and the, the you know the uh, sort of good boy Midwesterner in me was like, "No, you signed a piece of paper. You should say you should commit." Um, so I was inclined to stay, and I met the guys, and they were you know per- really great guys, and they said, uh, "But I think they met with each of us uh, like over a couple of days, and." In Culver City, and it's funny. All the all of us writers were texting each other and saying, "Like, what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? I'm on the fence. You know, I'm talking. I'm trying." Uh, and it, it, some people left, and some people stayed. Um, and we were all sort of meet. We would go meet with them, and then we would go meet at the Starbucks in Culver City <laughs> with each other. Um, <laughs> and the pitch to the you know their pitch to me was the same to everyone. It was like, "We, we love the show. We don't want to change anything drastic about it. We just want to change the workflow. We just want to you know we just want to make it easier to work there." And I was like, "Oh my god, that's the best thing I've ever heard in my life." Well, you sort of yeah, you can't. I mean, <laughs> um, uh, so so when they finally got the room together, um, what was the approach? You know, the, they had uh, to come in and say. Here's what we're looking at for these 13 episodes, or how? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how how it evolved was they they said we really want to just keep it the same, and then, and um, uh, we had we all had some questions for them, like what do you the, the main one being there was a question that ended up being kind of a litmus test. We didn't realize amongst ourselves what it was uh, uh, that we were all asking the same question, but the question was, do you guys plan to have Jeff Winger graduate from Greendale Community College at the end of this year? And they were sort of taken they hadn't i don't think they were expecting that question and the, the obvious answer is no i mean mash ran longer than the korean war so <laughs> i mean no that would kill the show right and and all of us to a person felt like no that's the answer the correct answer to that question is yes uh because this is a show that 
uh, I don't know. I'm obsessed with the show, like you, like many of you guys are. So I probably am not. I'm not the right person to ask, but <laughs> I think it is. Uh, it came right from the mouth of God. Um, and I think one of the things that allow, that has always allowed the show to change the way it looks from week to week, you know, people who don't know the show, they think, oh, uh, is that that show that can be anything from one week to the next? <laughs> and I think the one thing that allows it to, ch- to go into different genres and to look different and to be shot differently and to play with the format is that there are some things that are sacrosanct. And some, one of them is the characters are the characters. They don't change. You can put them in a paintball movie, you know, in, in Die Hard uh, with paintball, but they, they, they're, they're still pretty pure. They, um, and the other thing is that um, it obeys a certain kind of reality. And I don't, you almost don't know how to describe it, but one of the key questions is, is the guy who started the show by, joint, by, by signing up for a community college, is he gonna get, who, who doesn't want to be there, is he going to get out in four years or not? And uh, to us, it was like, he has to get out. Uh, and the, once they started hearing that from all of us, <laughs> I think they started to go, oh, holy shit, this is going to be a harder show to write than we thought. <laughs> and also, as the, I, they started to get the religion, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, going to Comic-Con and being treated like gods uh, can't hurt. Uh, and so, I'm sorry I'm meandering to answer your question. Um, there was a... They said part of what they said was we want to keep it. We want to keep the spirit of the show, and we want to learn it from you guys. We want you guys to show us how to do it. And I was like, that's fantastic, and also daunting to us. And then I sat down with a couple of other, with, with Megan Gans, who was another long. She and I were the only like the two uh, m- most senior writers who were still considering staying. And um, we kind of had this long talk about it, and we're like, um, who wants to be on the worst season of Community? Blah blah blah. <laughs> um, and uh, but also you know. Um, uh, in a lull, there was like a lull in the conversation and just like out of nowhere someone, one of us said like boy whoever does that first episode it's going to be pretty fun because you're going to you're gonna, you're gonna have to make comment on, on Dan getting fired and you're going to have to do it's like we just started thinking about how you process that stuff because the, the show does that uh, it talks about itself all the time um, and uh, you know about five, ten minutes of that conversation and we realized we were smiling uh, and that it's fun to write community. And we were like, if those guys are serious that they want the veterans, you know, us to sort of take the lead, then that should be, that should be the greatest thing in the world. Uh, that, or, or it should be a great challenge. And we called them back, and we said, do you really mean that? And they said, yeah. And he said, well, do, do you realize that means, so do you mean that we're going to sort of take, uh, sort of teach the other, the, new, the incoming writers how we do things? Because we had this weird. Uh, uh, many people know about the Dan Harmon story circle. He has an. Uh, 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 and he's been here and talked about right. It, so. He has a particular way of breaking a story. It's not that weird. It's 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 pretty much the the hero's journey. The like the it's a it's a feature film kind of format. It's a three act structure. That, uh, but you don't. A lot of sitcoms just don't bother with it. Mm-hmm. And we were pretty. That's why our, our episodes tend to feel like epic adventures. Was because they're they're following the hero's journey. Anyway, so we taught those guys the story circle. You know, the first week of, of working with the writers was us getting, showing them, here's, here's how we do things. Wow. And then um, uh, everyone, who, everyone who started, I mean, first of all, it's this, it's this golden, it's this amazing property. And everyone who, who started there in the fourth season was so, felt honored to be a part of it. So that, all that was easy. And the other thing that I was afraid of was um, 
I thought new people would come in and they would try to homogenize it or they would try to dumb down the show, but all the new people were just wanted to do more paintball and more weird stuff. And I ended up being the one in the room going like, well, we need to do some classrooms and hallways. Like, we need to do some ordinary stuff, too. So it was a... It was a I'm still processing what it was. We had, you know, we're dealing with now, the, air, the show just started airing two weeks ago, and we were getting the reviews we expected, which are a lot of people saying, oh, you, the community isn't the same. And we're like, yeah, we know. You know, it's not the same. Uh, pl- believe me, plenty of nights uh, I thought uh, I would tell my wife, and I would text uh, Chris McKenna and other writers who had left, and I would say, I think I'm killing community. I think we're ruining it. I think we're not doing it. It's hard to be in a room and have that suspicion that we're not rising to a level. We're not doing it the way Dan would do it, but I don't know how. And ultimately, I've had to. I'm trying to make my peace with the fact that no one can write the way anyone else writes. Um, and so it may come out as you guys watch the rest of the season. It'll unfold before you. This either this car crash or this valiant <laughs> effort. Uh, what'll What'll become clear is that we probably, in hindsight, shouldn't have tried to imitate the community that we had known. Mm-hmm. We should have just. It might, in hindsight, it might have been better to have Aaron Sorkin come in and say, "I hate this show. I'm going to redo the show my way," and that would have been a pretty interesting experiment. <laughs> we'll, we'll ask Gideon. <laughs> um, did, yeah. Um, just to wrap up, did the production get any easier? Did they stick to that at least that promise? That one they thing that to make? yeah, uh, well, one thing that uh, uh, definitely our crew uh, was real grateful. We were t- yeah. we were more on time with our scripts. Mm-hmm. We um, we didn't change our mind. You know, part of the magic that happened in Dan Harmon's head, and I think just from the brief conversation we had backstage <laughs> in Aaron Sorkin's head as well. <laughs> is that they're just never done until they're done, and you can't tell them this is good enough. Uh, they'll just they'll throw out an entire story right. like a minute before it starts shooting. It doesn't matter to them. And so we didn't do that kind of stuff this year. We, we got more on board with TV as a, the, the machinery of making a TV show. Um, so, uh, so, yes... Not not as many late nights, but we still we we definitely bled for the show. I'm not telling you like we took it easy, <laughs> but yeah, cool, uh, good. Uh, Emily, I'm dying to hear about your uh, time on the unit. Yes, the unit. Uh, it was such an interesting show, and it had such a, a sort of interesting pedigree with Mamet and Sean Ryan. Yeah, um, and I really did. You guys watch the unit? No, you're all too young. <laughs> Um, I did, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, Thank too. Um, tell us about working on that show, and, and you kind of started out there as a writer, right? Yes, that was my first job, was on The Unit, which is a military drama on CBS. Um, and for those of you looking at me, I know I scream military drama. <laughs> um, but it, uh, I actually started out as a writer's assistant mm-hmm. on that show, and then um, uh, was fortunate in that. Uh, there was job mobility in that position, what, which sometimes was, there isn't, and then I was, was promoted the to writer. What was the writer's room like on that show? Well, it was interesting because you had Sean Ryan, who's fantastic and was coming from The Shield and is just a wonderful guy and a wonderful showrunner, and he um, you know, had been in TV for a long time, and then you had David Mamet, who um, obviously is a very celebrated playwright, and, but had not done any TV and was, I think, used to... Um, uh, just him and the script sure. and, and the, whatever he says goes and that and so it was sort of those two personalities but they um, they merged it pretty well I mean I think um, 
it it was now I didn't know at the time because it was sort of my first job, but it was probably an atypical room and that we would meet a few hours a day, but it was not it like the hours were very erratic and part of it I think was Mammoth's schedule. He just what wasn't gonna <laughs> wasn't so, gonna show up. But he day. was in the room the whole time during he was production? in the beginning he was there all the time and, and then sort of as the season went on it was uh, Sean would be there pretty regularly and the writers would meet regularly and then he would come in maybe once a week, and we would sort of pitch to him, and and um, and that was sort of just finding itself and finding out, figuring out how it was going to work. But no, it's funny, and I, you know, obviously I've transitioned to comedy, but I, but I sort of that it was in a bizarre way such a great training ground. I mean, just to work with Mamet from a writing perspective, and he's so um, it's all plot driven, and he would just it was all these just amazing lessons in writing all the time, and then. Like what? Was the unit yeah. when was the unit the show that he wrote that like amazing kind of like manifesto about like television? <laughs> yes. Like, it, were you <laughs> working got, oh there God. when yeah, that yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah, I was. Do you, yeah. do you want to talk about that for a sec? Actually, because that, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah. It's amazing. I don't want to tell tales out of school, but um, no, I mean, I think probably that manifesto was circulated all over the place. Yeah. But it's it's around and Google it, you'll find it. Yeah, he. Um, I mean, he has very um, very strong opinions about how scripts should be written and, and sort of held the writers to like an extremely high standard and yes he wrote these he, that was actually one of many that wow. were distributed to us on, on the, while we were on staff and it you know he didn't um, it's funny he was just very demanding and I think it's, it's, it was a good like it really helped me develop a pretty thick skin very quickly um, and he would let you know if he wasn't happy with your work um, there was really no gray area when it came to um, He's receiving the scripts, and I think um, that was where actually the partnership with Sean Ryan was very helpful. You know, I think yeah. that he sort of a little bit had more of that kind of nurture. I mean, I, I remember personally when I turned in my first script, and for a number of reasons, it was sort of this. I didn't have any concept of of budget or or what you could do in a script at all, and um, it was just kind of this unproducible like monstrosity. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, but Sean, I remember, you know, really sort of helped he wanted to sort of help guide and you know sort could sort of recognize like maybe the story's there but but here are just some things you don't know if you've never written for television before whereas i think with mammoth it tended to just be um he was so plot driven you know so so sort of focused on plot and mm-hmm. that that um their their notes would sometimes contradict each other do you remember any of that stuff that came out of that the lessons you learned from that first script after talking with sean absolutely i um I learned that shows have budgets and you have to, <laughs> you can't spend as much money as you want all the time. Um, no, I'd written this, this script that I remember there were like multiple trains crashing into each other. I mean, it was just like the craziest. It would have been like a $50 million action something. It was crazy. that I, It's so embarrassing that I wrote that. Um, but no, so there was that, but I, it's funny. I also, he, um, the part of the way re, the, the way the show worked was that the writers would you'd be given a bit of an outline and but really not the episodes were not often beaten out in great detail and I yeah. think shows you know work differently but that was the way that show worked so for better or for worse the writer would often be sent off and you you sort of um, you know not entirely on your own you had you had some guidelines but I th- I think. It was my first script, and I honestly, I didn't. I was sort of me in a room and wrote what I thought was um, was a great script, and and um, and then realized I'd written something totally unproducible. Um, no, but so a lot of it was just the practical, um, you know, practicality. But but then I think um, we went back over it. We sort of went through the process of outlining, and that was uh, it was just hugely helpful. And I and in 
you know, later experiences, I feel like that's a lot of what the room does. You know, you do a lot of outlining. Absolutely. Do, that's yeah. very interesting to and, me. That the, They broke the story in the room, but not thoroughly. Huh. Yeah, and I think it, that also changed. Like, it was at a time when the, you know, the show was sort of still figuring out what it was and how it was going to work. And I think with both... Um, you know, Sean's time was a little divided because he was still doing the right. Shield, and then, and then David was was um, was not always available. But I think that um, yeah, and it, you know, the other thing that this the process with Sean though it was it was a great lesson for me just in the people you work for. That I feel like I've also on shows you see that you you could turn something in, and if a script doesn't turn out the way that it's supposed to, or if somebody's not totally happy with it, you know you can handle that in a lot of ways and I think in retrospect I always appreciated that he never made me feel bad about it which he really could have done you know and you see that happen to people and I think that it helped me sort of more embrace my role as a writer on the show and want to succeed and do well as opposed to just kind of hiding in my office and being sad so that was always a, that was that was um, that was like a big lesson I took away from it too uh, the other thing that was really interesting about that show um, was, you know, the premise was about these guys in this military unit, as well as their wives, mm-hmm. who were on the base. Um, can you recall conversations about striking that balance? It always seemed a tricky one. Yes, it was a, it was subject of a lot of conversations. And I think, I hope I'm not misremembering, I, I feel like at one point, the the idea for the show, and like the very genesis in its very early stages, might have been just the focus on the men of, you know, the Delta Force, this covert operatives. And and that it was sort of in bringing it to CBS and pitching that they, you know, naturally want to sort of try to appeal to more people. And so the idea was was then born that maybe it would be the women and the men. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but that was talked about a lot. It was talked about in the writer's room. And I think um, that finding that balance. Were they looking at you? Were, were you, is that why you were there? Like, did you have this sense there of she was responsibility? Right, right. Emily, <laughs> what are the ladies doing yeah. this episode? Yeah, yeah, uh, then you, you gals write that scene. Right. No, it was funny. I, I think there, I... And don't spend our money either. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get budget for the girl scenes. I actually, We've got fighter planes. <laughs> I, I think I did expect that and then was a little bit shocked and horrified when they were like write this action scene you know and, um so no but i think it's great that it didn't work that way i think it actually i do remember sean at one point commenting that it it wound up being the opposite a lot of the time that the women would write the the big action scenes and the men would write the, the lady scenes but um no i think a big challenge of that show was um whatever the men were doing they're covert operatives and it's based on we you know we had a delta force consultant eric haney in the room i mean Anything they're doing is is very interesting and it's full of action. And so I feel like the challenge was really to make the the stories back home as interesting. Um, but my cake didn't turn out. <laughs> there was a, a lot of knitting, I recall. A lot of knitting in those B-plots. Yeah, just stuff ladies do. There were not. That's how the unit would have sounded had I been <laughs> Meanwhile, I, back at the base. But my cake... <laughs> <laughs> you check out Andy's unit fanfic. Here's a whole website. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> uh, and how many episodes did you wind up uh, writing for the show? Do you remember? Oh, I don't remember. Is that that show was four. on for a long time? Yeah. too. I was there for two years. I think okay. three or four. I don't know. I still get occasional envelope in the mail. I don't know. So. 18 cents. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good. All right. We'll pick up there uh, when we come back. Uh, Gideon. Can we talk about the newsroom a little bit? Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, also not to tell tales out of school, but sure. 
Fireball. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I would really just like to hear about your experience there. We've talked to a couple of West Wing writers who described uh, sometimes how little the room did and sometimes how much the room did, depending on you know what needed to be done. I, I mean, I think we were in a unique position in that um, you know we were there to help Aaron build a show, and mm-hmm. I think um, I mean I remember reading the pilot and you know, really cottoning to a lot of the stuff that was laid down for the characters or potentially like the trails that were, the, the, the tracks that were laid down for the characters. There's, um, there's a scene that uh, uh, Sam, uh, Sam Waterston's character says uh, when describing Emily Mortimer's character to, uh, to Jeff Daniels where he says, you know, she's been working 26 months out of country. Um, you know, she's been to more funerals than a gallery age is supposed to be and she's, she can't find a job coming home and she's just tired. And uh, I remember reading that and being like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> like, that's, for a lot of my friends in particular who I think cut their teeth trying to cover what we now call the global war on terror, you know, people, I was 23 years old when the towers went down, I, you know, and uh, I, some of my best friends are people who their entire careers were built on saying, yeah, sure, I'll go to Afghanistan, um, mm-hmm. you know, immediately thereafter. And that you know, time goes by faster than you think and you get up, you know, eight, nine years after that and you come home and, like, the news business has changed entirely. There's no real uh, budgets for that anymore. I have, I have a very dear friend of mine who's a photographer for the New York Times. I mean, he, he was... I mean, if he didn't get hazard pay, he wasn't going to be able to feed his kid. But you don't want to be doing that because, like, now you're like, I, I have a one-year-old, but at the same time, the only way that I can feed him is to be in a place where, like, I might not necessarily come home. And I thought, well, oh, God, this is brilliant. Like, here's a chance to kind of tell... Donald Margulies, the playwright, did a really beautiful play called Time Stand Still uh, with Laura Linney a couple of years ago that I thought touched on that. Um, and I thought, okay, well, we have... You know, here's, here's, here's potentially something I can contribute to. Here's potentially something that I can, I, I can add to. Um, and I think that I had that expectation and then going in and then hearing sort of where we were and what we were going to do with the show and this idea that it was like, we've got this romantic comedy model of his gal Friday you know how can we replicate this between sort of this 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 triangle love relationship between three people and this kind of back and forth love relationship between these two people um it was for me a chance to kind of uh try to adapt and try to adapt to different skill sets that I hadn't been used to playing in Mm -hmm. because I mean I had been a huge West Wing fan I'm you know I was I was a student before I was an employee and uh to go in there and then to hear what I think his points of reference are, how he conceives of things, how much of that's based in musical theater, how much of that's based in screwball comedy. It was a real education, and, um, and one I think I was really lucky to have. What, what kind of uh, narrative writing had you done up to that? I'd written two feature films. Um, I was sort of like the angel of death for a bunch of uh, mini-majors for a while. Like, I got hired by... Yeah, it was great. It was like I wrote a film, and then I gave it to Paramount Vantage, and three weeks later they went... Bankrupt. It was like, and uh, you know, uh, I, I had one that was over at Focus Features for uh, a little while. It's the same thing. Um, a lot of the stuff that I was writing at the time was based on um, experiences I had had uh, coming home from Iraq, and you know, some of the things that I had sort of seen and whatnot, and 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 things that I'd kind of taken away from that. And um, it's tough. It's a tough sell to sell as entertainment. It's tough to get people to watch that on TV. Um, uh, as well and then I, I had written a pilot for ABC about West Point and I had written, written a pilot for AMC um, 
that was about people who were working for um, a small failing newspaper doing investigative journalism. I, I was paired up with a consultant named Lowell Bergman, who's probably most famous as the Al Pacino character in The Insider. Mm -hmm. But he runs this thing called the Center for Investigative Journalism up at Cal Berkeley. And um, it was the same thing. It was just, you know, I find journalists to be fascinating characters, so it was a, it was a cool chance to, um, to do some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I would highly recommend, if any of you guys have any experiences developing, to ever just get into a writer's room, the difference between what I was doing and how I was writing prior, like in a bubble, versus getting the real world experience, even if it's you know just to sit in as an assistant and watch how people work, how watch how people work in a collaborative structure, watch how um, you know we had a head writer, Paul Redford. I don't know if yeah, you yeah, no, I him. love Paul. So Paul, like Paul, is a, a, a former writer on the unit, and he used to tell us stories about David Mamet saying, you know, the most important thing is whatever the logline is going to be on the call sheet. That's how you need to think about how you're breaking scene. What happens here? Person X does Y. And, you know, that's a really transformative sort of thing to wrap your head around when you're thinking about economy of scene. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it just, you know, it inherently, um, you have this, this ideas in, ideas out experience that I, I just think is a really good one to have for any That's writer. a great point. I don't mean yeah. to interrupt, but I, I, it, it's, that is one thing that I feel like I've internalized it so much, but even as, as a transition to comedy, but it's like that was that first, the idea that every scene, just in a log line, what you said, that you should be able to explain it, it it's really like, and, and I think for Mammoth that it was often like, that defines whether the scene is good or the scene is bad. And it, it really winds up being, I think, a great piece of advice. And I, I wrote my first script with Paul Redford. He's, a, a, lot. he's a, a tremendously good, good dude. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that room was run on the newsroom. Uh, how much story did you guys break? How much did Sorkin come in that was already and had stuff in his head and then would throw it to you guys? What, what, well, how did it work? A, he's an amazing writer. I mean, he's, he's, it's like um, I remember watching LeBron James play on a court the first time. And I was like, this dude takes two steps from half court and dunks on a basket. <laughs> and like, I, was trying, I was like, how, it's like, how, the uh, how that happens? And we would have these situations, too, where, you know... Um, you know, we would joke around like that scene with F. Murray Abraham and Amadeus where he's like Salieri talking about the, the, the <laughs> serenade in B flat and he's like, It's God laughing. Like he would just come back with like forty pages of and it, like just the kinetic his dialogue. I mean, and I think it was probably, you know, working for David Mamm is probably a guy like that too, where he just again, how a scene unfolds. Um, I mean, you know, here was a guy who was writing God, you know, two shows at the same time, you know, for, you know, the last season of Sports Night and the first yeah. season of The West Wing and, like, delivering that. Uh, how that, how, you know, the skill set that comes off of that, it's really impressive. Um, but our job was was a little bit like what, what Emily said. I mean, we would come in, we would pitch ideas for, we had eight mouths to feed because it was an ensemble. Um, so, you know, we wanted to make sure that our actors were being serviced. And um, it was just a lot of, you know, what do we have for this person today? Um, Sometimes it would be, you know, the mandate would be very clear. I want to do a specific episode around, um, uh, you know, th this character dynamic. Like, our second episode, he was very, like, we, I want to do something specifically around, um, you know, fucking up. Like, I, I want to have, like, it to be a really big fuck up. Um, there was an episode that, uh, but again, this is sort of, like, his mindset. Like, the mandate for this episode that, that we worked on together about the, the 112th Congress, he was like, we just need to skip six months, you know, because we were dialed into real-world events. Mm -hmm. we, we just, like, the mandate was, okay, we got to get through six months. Um, and, you know, fortunately, he's the kind of guy that you can say, well, 
you know, if we do something like the structure in Harold Pinter's Betrayal. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and I had never, you know, you come to Hollywood and there's not a lot of people, I think, that speak that language mm-hmm. where you can say, okay, this is what I have structurally in my head. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. And I work on arguably the greatest show that has ever been. It is, it is definitely, okay. Pillows versus blankets, right? But, like, that, that episode, too, like, the idea of, well, okay, how do you take, like, the Civil War, you uh-huh. know, and how do you take what Ken Burns is doing? And it's sort of the same thing. It's just because he's a theater dude. I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and then that's what we did. And that's what we did. We broke stories. Uh, and and when you guys were assigned script, uh, no, we were never assigned a script. Oh really? <laughs> no, there was no there was no script assignments. I mean, everything is, um, you know, our job was to provide story mm-hmm. more than anything else. Yeah, and that's what uh, we've heard from the West Wing writers. Too, yeah, they were kind of just machines uh, turning out ideas t- to fuel that fire. Yeah, and you know, it's it's you you learn a lot in that process. Yeah, um, it's you know you uh, it's it's a really good learning experience. Mm-hmm. Cool, uh, Max. Um, but I want to talk about ceremony, but first, uh, while we're still talking about TV, um, what is the role of the episodic television director? Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're working with a very clear, if you're working with, I've, I was pretty, I, I only, I, I didn't, I had no idea I, I was ever going to do this, uh, direct television. But um, my movie kept getting pushed, and and I, I'd much rather direct than I, I really despise the writing process. I've always done it, and it's always been a way that I've made a living. But I, I really, there's nothing I enjoy about it at all. I've always looked at writing just so I can make a movie. Um, so uh, it's just it's never come natural to me, really. Like mm-hmm. I, it's just I, maybe it's never come natural to anyone, but it, except oh, we, Sorkin. Yeah, but, no, but, it's, uh, it's always three quarters of the writers up yeah. here hate writing. Yeah, <laughs> but, but so um, what was the question? Uh, what is you're, you're coming? Oh in yeah, basically you know, so a if you're working gun. with so yeah, I had no idea, but I, I, I one of my pilot NBC was with Ryan Murphy, and he uh, is is a tr- truly smart guy, and and asked me. I was having breakfast writing on a Tuesday, and he asked me, "Do you want to come and direct an episode of this show?" And I was um, uh, called the New Normal, and then I was already going to do the New Girl because my friend Jake and Liz Merriweather I know very well, and. Um, and he, I was like, yeah, you know, maybe, I don't know. He's like, he's like, well, you can come in tomorrow. We'll shoot on Monday. I was like, okay, cool. I'll just do it and not have to think about it. And I did it. And I was a really big fan of uh, Ryan's. And Allie Adler, the other writer on the show, is, is like a truly wonderful comedic mind uh, and so sharp and so quick and funny. And, and I, I'm kind of obsessed with this guy, Andrew Rannells, who I love, who's on the show, who's in the Book of Mormon, which I actually never saw, but it's also on Girls. Um, just great, like Gene Kelly-esque like mega talent um and so i just did that and i i kind of enjoyed it but they what i'm saying is they had such a clear idea of what they wanted that you know you can you can mess around and try to do like you know a two-minute like goodfellas tracking shot and tell your friends to watch for it but no one really gives a shit i mean it's just they're just there to serve the writers and the character which is something i've never done before because i've only ever directed things i've written um but it was really nice because I really was in agreement with, with everything they said, and they gave very clear direction. I ended up doing three of those just in a row just because it was so nice, and I got in a – once you get in a hang of it, it feels a little nice. And then, um, and then the new girl um, – the new girl was the same. I mean Liz is so clear on what she wants, and I'd already had a great kind of like 
very honest relationship with her and and I knew Jake and I knew Zoe a little bit and so it was kind of nice. I stepped on and it was you know it's it's a little awkward just cuz it's not your thing and they've been doing it for so long and like <laughs> you find like you just get into their rhythms and the D, the DP is really kind of the general of like how things are going and and there there's much more of a writer's presence on the set of New Girl and um you know, everyone has a different process. And I ended up doing two New Girls in a row, basically. And then I'm going to do one more. because Just because I, I kind of really liked it. And New Girl was different because it was a very big... Uh, um, I, the episode I got was like a very... Uh, there was like a very big thing that happened between Jake Johnson's character and Zoe's character. Was it, was it that most recent episode? Or a couple weeks ago? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it so there was, like, there was a lot of... You can talk about it. It's yeah, out there. Yeah, like a spoiler. <laughs> no, no. All right, ahead. well, they, they kiss in the episode. It was a very big episode for, like, you know, for a, for a show that's, like, building this, uh, you know, Cheers, like, relationship. You yeah. never know when to do that. So they were going back and forth, and it was, like, a, that, was a, that was a little tense just because everyone was very clear about, like, not knowing how this was going to be and stuff like that. So it was like, luckily, that, that was the last thing we shot mm-hmm. on Friday night. So we'd all gotten into a great groove. and That was a really fun episode, too. I mean, was, the, the comic timing that they usually have felt amped up. They're great uh, in such writers. A great way. They're really good writers. You can't take any credit? No. <laughs> no. Uh, well, this is something I'm curious about, and we often ask this uh, of yeah. writers, especially new writers who are you know, on staff, haven't created their yeah. own thing. Do you get your own voice in there at all? Does it, or, or does that not even matter? To Are you, you asking about the young writer on the set? I'm asking about uh, you as a director. I did, but I'm like, you know, I like, I did, you know, because it's it's very hard to directing is like such a directing is way easier than writing, no matter what. But directing, like, I had such a, I can't like, I can't. It's very hard to like direct if you actually like don't care what you're doing. It's like very like it's almost like impossible. It's such a full blown just like immersion and different things yeah. that so I, I have to care about and I have to like make it look remotely kind of like the way I want it to look and stuff like that like I can't totally you only partially sell out um, <laughs> um, yeah but you know the, the, there was a young writer on the set of that whole episode it's like a very big episode and she, her voice was very clear and like her name is Rebecca Adelman she was a great writer and Liz was always there and they've got two great showrunners who are always there and kind of like channeling Liz named Brett and Dave um, and you know, so it's a, so it's a, it was it was very you know it was a great AD and it was a, it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to very quickly uh, and then come back over here ask about that that same question about getting your voice onto that show, which is clearly someone else's show. You know, you're you are a hired gun on it when you're on staff, but you're also part of the voice of the show. So uh, talking about really anything that you've been on, uh, Andy, was there something I, you can point to and say well, that's will- me in that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I w- was tempted to jump in because uh, that's been the theme of uh, uh, my first job was on the show Malcolm in the Middle. Pause for applause. Uh, <laughs> do you um, guys were, do you yeah. remember it? It was, a TV show. it was a TV show when you guys before you guys were born. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were Malcolm's age. No, but there was a really spectacular moment. I, it was a second. This is a second career for me, and I had been working in advertising for a long time, and and so the way I got hired, uh, it ended up being this. They asked me to come in and pitch stories and. And um, on my way to that meeting, they had seen a spec script that I had written, not of their show, but of some material that I'd written. In Do you a, remember what it was? Oh yeah, it was a thing that we ended up trying as a pilot later. Oh. About uh, that uh, is, uh, I think maybe a little similar to Two Broke Girls, but with guys. It, it was, you know, it's two brothers. Um, one was responsible, one was irresponsible, and they were uh, trust fund kids who had lost their money, and so the one had to go get a job. Mm-hmm. It's an okay premise for a show, I think. 
It's a, I'll, it seems to I'll be try working. it again at some point. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I'm driving to this meeting, and my agent calls me, and he says, Do you, how, what's your week looking like? Because um, uh, I had a full-time job at, at Gray Advertising, and I said, well, it, um, okay, it's not that busy. He said, I'm getting a weird vibe from them. It may, they may just have you write an episode that they're already outlining. And sure enough, that's what happened. They had gotten, they were up against it. They were in the middle of their season. And so I walked in and I pitched some ideas and they didn't really buy any of my ideas. But then the, uh, Linwood, the showrunner, came by and asked the guys that were meet, meeting with me, like, how's Andy? And they said, oh, he seems okay. And he said, okay, listen, we're going to have you write this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say, like, that, that freelance opportunity used to happen a lot more. I guess so. Uh, especially I guess so. around that time and before. Um, but that whole, that whole thing is preamble to what happened right after that. Oh, and then uh, as, before I knew it, a, a lunch menu was being handed to me. That's how I knew I was <laughs> working in television. A lunch yeah. menu. And you flash forward, like, to, uh, eight or nine years after that, and the hours on Community, like, season two and three were so bad that any time a menu was being handed to me, my hand would twitch. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> because it's usually a dinner menu yeah. or it's like a two in the morning pizza. <laughs> I feel like on stuff it's like the lunch menu makes you so happy and the dinner yeah. menu makes you so angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so this lunch menu thing had to be, and then uh, a really nice guy, uh, Michael Borkow, who was my first real mentor, pulled me aside and he said, is this like a weird conversation? And he said, you're, he said, you're about to go into a writer's room. It can be a weird place. Do you have any questions? <laughs> And I said, I said, I assume there's an unstated hierarchy that I should keep my mouth shut and figure out what the hierarchy is before I do anything. And he said, good, okay, you'll be fine. Um, and then a little bit later, he gave me this piece of advice that jibes with what you guys are saying. Is that in TV, on a TV show, I don't know if drama is different. I think it's the same. Basically, you're, you're helping someone else make a TV show. You're helping the creator of the show make his show or her show. Uh, don't go thinking that you are... So it's like th- this question started with you saying to getting my voice into the show, and I guess the proper answer is no, you sh- no, I never have that aspiration. Um, but I do definitely remember... You know, comedy writers definitely... You re- probably remember the first joke you did that got, that got in. I don't know if I remember the first one I did, but I, there was a moment at Malcolm in the Middle when I pitched something that made everyone laugh that was... It was better than... Ju- it was not just a joke. It was something that was sort of a character moment that was the first time I felt like, oh, I'm, uh, I just, I think I just took a step up, because uh, I just did a, I just did a character joke, like I just, I wasn't just doing a word joke, um, and I, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that. And there was a moment, there was a similar moment, like uh, at Community, because um, we would, you know, we Dan would just, Dan operated like a college student, so he would pull, he would write all night, and and. Um, a lot of times he would get into this zone. He would sit at the keyboard and we would have monitors. So he would be writing the draft and we would just be pitching to him. Um, and there was a thing that uh, uh, this, I only remember. The, I remember this because we were just. I was just asked this same question on, on this on Reddit, and it, it just popped into my head. I don't know if it's, if it's worth telling it all, but now I've talked so much about it, I have to tell it. <laughs> he was. We were writing. He was writing this scene that involved kettle corn. Uh, someone. <laughs> someone suggested. Uh, someone had brought kettle corn to this party, and Troy Barnes, who was our sort of dumb guy character. I walk into the. It's like we had been writing. We were writing all night, and at about three in the morning, we start to poop out, you know. And like people just go to their offices and sleep. And at about five in the morning, I get up and I come back in the room, and Dan is back up, and he's typing, and he's like a zombie. He's like in this zone, and he's writing, and he's on this scene, and it's like. So, 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 so I brought kettle corn, and he wrote Troy, 
He, he wrote the character's name, and then he, the cursor was just blinking for the, where the dialogue was supposed to go. And I was like, kettle corn, that's a fun time snack. And he just typed it. And I was like, yes. I just dictated that to Dan Harmon. <laughs> Uh, Emily, what about you? Uh, you know, you, you've worked for some other people. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm specifically curious about private practice. Yeah. It, um, I, it's funny. I, I agree. I, I found, like, in, in terms of staffing, that in general my experience has been that it's um, your job is to mimic the voice of the show, the voice of the, the creator. And, um, and I think it's easy to go in and sort of particularly as a new writer and think, I'm going to shake things up and I'm going to show them jokes they've never seen. And, but, <laughs> but it is, um, you know, I think ultimately if your joke or your story is not uh, right for the show, if it's not germane to the characters, it's not, it's not going to get in. And you learn that pretty quickly. Um, no, but I also, yeah, I was very lucky to work for um, Shonda Rhimes, who is a, um, obviously she's juggling empires at this point, but, but she... Um, she has a very clear vision. She has a theme park. She I've does. She has her Shondaland. Heartbreaking in the last five minutes of every ride. Yeah. Real twist. Yeah. Oh, tears. Yeah. Real My twist. writing partner Sarah and I actually have a joke that if we have like a production card ever, it'll be this like rickety, old, like, horrible. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> People are screaming. Does Shonda have yeah. Snow Patrol come and perform in the writers' room? No, she didn't. That's when you're waiting on um, but what was great, and I feel like being on staff, what's great is when the showrunner or the creator has a really clear vision and a clear voice because it makes your job as a staff writer easier because you know what it is that person wants. And, and Shonda certainly has that. I mean, I feel like she carved out this, this niche beginning with Grey's Anatomy, but that was, um, I think it makes it easier to write, to write for, the, uh, for the show. And I, I think probably in the, on the unit we had the most creative freedom and that like it was the it was the the chance to write uh, I feel like my so, I'm sorry I'm not being eloquent but that the writer had the chance to sort of have their own voice heard maybe more so on some of the other shows I've worked for and maybe that's as I've tended more into comedy that they tend to it, it was tends more to get so more. on the unit yeah yeah it tends to get more homogenous but um, we've, it's funny we've heard that from other people who have worked for Sean and from yeah. Sean himself too that he he tends to go looser yeah uh, in those early drafts, so you yeah. can kind of find the story on your own. And it's nice. I mean, uh, you know, it gives you some creative freedom, and, and it's satisfying in a way that you don't always get. Um, although, and I, I guess I just feel like that's why some writers, you know, ultimately want to develop, and you have the fantasy that maybe one day the creative voice will be yours. <laughs> and then, um, but it is. It's, it feels very different from being on staff when I do think it's you, you sort of want to... Um, just learn the voice quickly, mm-hmm. and if you don't, it'll, it'll be problematic. Um, Gideon, I mean, you, you responded in that newsroom pilot to, excuse me, to this idea that was something you wanted to write about. Did you get to explore that? Um, no, not really. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, you know, who knows what they're doing this season. But, you know, I think that's always, you know, that's got to be some of the frustration. I mean, I think that's always just the existent frustration of being, you know, uh, you know, writing for somebody for somebody else. But I think, you know, it's good to look at the amazing things that go along with that. I mean, it, it sounds, I, I don't know if it sounds like it's a bad thing. Um, it's not. Um, I think that there's so much value in mimicry uh, because it just teaches you form so that when you do your own thing, you just know that form so well that when you subvert it with your own voice, um, it's, it's, it's always yours. And you see this with, like, musicians all the time, right? Like, a lot of people's very early records or, you know, if you play music, it's all, you're like, oh, yeah, they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. this other band. 
and then it's the second album or the third, you know, and then they kind of come into their own. Um, so, you know, and it's also you get a chance to work with really sort of amazing dynamic people sometimes when you take the back seat and say, okay, well, what can I do that's, you know, value added as opposed to just try and assume control of the entire Absolutely. Uh, uh, thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, Max, talk to us about ceremony. Uh, it is fascinating meeting you here today because you sound exactly like those two characters yeah. <laughs> who are the lead characters yeah. uh, in such an awesome way. Like, it, re- it reminds me of when Liz Merriweather was here yeah. talking about the new girl. <laughs> like, oh, that, well, that's yeah. her. <laughs> um, so this clearly, I mean, this came from you uh, and and in a, clearly in a, a very raw way. Am I am I misreading that? No, pro- I mean it was probably uh, yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> um, you know, it was uh, I. I really um, I really wanted to make a movie, and and I I had sort of had the, I was lucky enough that I graduated from college, and and my uh, uh, the guy I work with a lot, the guy Matt Spicer, uh, and I wrote like a script that summer, and like. Um, we thought that was gonna be the first. You know, I was like, I was like shocked and heartbroken that when I graduated from USC Film School, it wasn't like announced in Variety. <laughs> like, here he comes. Uh, I was truly shocked. Like, I had a true psychotic delusions that like I would step out of USC Film School and go and like do something. There's like this legendary guy ahead of us who like was named John Chu, who ended up like he was supposed he like made the greatest like black and white silent student film like there was like a musical and he was going to go direct like Bye Bye Birdie and it was like a big deal and I was like I want it. I want I want Chu's career man. not that movie but he was just like a legend and so we were like we have to just like make a movie right away so we never have to get real jobs and so we wrote this script and we thought it was like this big movie we thought it was like Bruce Almighty or something like that but it actually not Bruce Almighty but like you know and it ended up it ended up like everyone thought it was like the weirdest script ever and it it it, it got us work and it got us connected with this great dude Jason Reitman who's a producer um and director and writer. Um, and that was the first movie I was going to direct, and that was at Fox Searchlight, but it was clear that it was too expensive and I was never going to get to make that first. So I was like, Jason was like, you should just write something personal and small and we'll just make it. And you're like, and I was like, that's great advice. So I just, you know, um, there was, I just like, there was like characters and certain like aspects of like, I just really wanted to like make a movie about like what it felt like, what I felt like to be like, just like a 25-year-old just idiot. You know, the same type of guy that thought he was going to graduate film school and, and direct Bye Bye Birdie or something like that. Um, and so I just want to, like, there, there's a, that period where you feel like, you know, maybe you're, like, the smartest person in the world and, like, no one else, like, understands, like, Franny and Zoe like you do. And, like, then you realize, like, everyone read the book and, like, you're completely unoriginal and you should be in therapy. And so I wanted to write a movie just about that feeling. And so I wrote Ceremony. And then I got to direct it. And then, well, I wrote it to direct it. I was, I never, I was never interested in, in directing stuff that other people had done just because I felt like writing is obviously so hard and so much, like, so... It's really just that, you know, I'd say, like, 60% of the directing and then, like, 30% casting and then... Then ten percent, what you do there. Ten percent is math. Yes, exactly. Um, I think ten to fifteen percent. Ten to fifteen percent. But that was it. You know, we just we cast it really well, and and I got so lucky. I worked with amazing guys and and girl. And um, Uh, let's talk about the script for a second, though. Um, What was your entry to finding a plot 
I mean, you clearly had this character. You had this yeah. time in someone's life that you wanted to write about. But I'd how did seen, you I'd seen the celebration recently, mm-hmm. which I was just blown away of like the tightness of it and the fact I wanted to make it for not so much money. So I had the I saw that and I was like, oh my god, you could make a whole movie at one house over one weekend. I was thinking of like uh, rules of the game too. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, just like and like what happens when like people with like secrets are all around each other and like how many balls you can throw in the air at the same time and um, I you know I just I I just plot sort of just came kind of not so hard to me you know I knew I knew like the basic ideas that I wanted to to write about and um, I knew the characters really well it was all based on kind of people I know and you know various you know psychotic versions of each other um (laughs) And yeah, you know, I obviously I was really influenced by like like Billy Wilder movies and like like really fast talking like charlatans kind of and so like you know and and I am probably you know part fast talking charlatan so Mike Langarano who I cast started talking like me he like sort of like and he's amazing he's an amazing amazing actor I'd seen him in this movie Snow Angels and then again in this movie called Gentleman Broncos which is like such an underrated hilarious bizarre weird movie I think there's a cricket in here. Um, um, that really fucks with your head. You're just, uh, we're, bombing. we're bombing, guys. Really do say a joke. I'm gonna stop talking. Um, What's amazing is the podcast audience will never hear that. Yeah. Cricket. <laughs> just gonna think you're nuts. Um, There's yeah. actually a cricket. Um, the economy of the script, though, was so impressive to me. As well as, like, I'm so sick of watching these movies, especially independent movies, where. People don't talk as fast as they do in your movie, which I really appreciated yeah, that I was, they, they yeah. did. Uh, how many drafts of that script did you go through? A lot, but the first draft I wrote in like a week and a half uh, in Jason Reitman. Jason, I could only I can't write at home, unfortunately. So I um, and so I have to write in other places, and which usually is like the really you know dark world of late night Starbucks with like. <laughs> Like hearing homeless people in the bathroom doing, having their own talk show, and it's a lot like this actually, um, and um, similar lighting. Um, so I wrote, but Jason Wright was going out of town to go make a movie, and so I, I luckily I used his office. I don't even think he knows this, but I used his office and wrote because he's got like a big chair and like a phone, like a real phone, uh, and so I could have my therapist on speaker the whole time. Um, Were you working from an outline on it? Not really. I, you know, I, I wrote. It says I wrote it by myself, and I kind of did. But I, Matt, I, the movie wouldn't be written without Matt Spicer, who I, and and another guy named Matt Dines, who I kind of lived out some of these adventures with, uh, who's one of my best friends. Um, and I would roll. I'm I'm a very insecure writer, as I think most are, and so I would constantly be calling them and saying, like, "Does this work? Does this work?" And watching movies, and you know, like. So, but I was obsessed with making a short movie. I, 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 I'm obsessed with Woody Allen movies, as you know, probably everyone is. And I was obsessed with making like, you know, like less than a 90-minute movie. And you know, the script was like 100 pages, but I would make sure I was positive that it was just going to be like an 80. I think the movie's like almost like illegally short or something. <laughs> I remember like having to like add stuff in. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's on. It's streaming on Netflix, so you guys should watch it. It's really good. Um, yeah, Gideon agrees. <laughs> I want to talk about just a, a little bit about early influences. I mean, we talked about Woody Allen with you, Max, and some of the other stuff that that is kind of apparent in the film, although it's all 
process through you, which is fantastic. You can be honest. Um, um, I think I'm being honest. Um, is the question directed towards? Me? Yeah, we'll start okay, with you. Yeah, I just love I love uh, movies that are can be funny and sad at the same time. You know, like. Uh, Love like um, Mike Nichols movies mm-hmm. and Woody Allen movies and Hal Ashby movies and um, Louis Maul movies and. Do you uh, remember at what age you watched some of these? Yeah, young, youngish. But then in college, it really started. You know, like the tone of like the British Office was something I was always obsessed with. Hmm. Larry Sanders show I always loved. Like just how it kind of get really it was funny and then always kind of be sad too. Um, Billy Wilder movies. I mean, I'm, I'm a go real. I really like. I'm kind of. A, I love watching movies. So, uh, Gideon, what about you? Um, yeah, I, I think the movie that always made me want to make anything, like the moment where I was like, I, I think it's possible to do something like that, um, was there was a movie called Hate by a French filmmaker named Matthew Kasovitz that I saw when I was like 16 years old, and I had this incredibly like. I grew up in Queens, which is just kind of outside of Manhattan and not a lot else. Um, and uh, the whole movie's about, you know, people growing up in the Van Leo outside of Paris. And I, I just saw something in that that reminded me a lot of my hometown growing up, and I was like, how did this guy do this on 16-millimeter reversal and, like, make it so cheap and feel so fucking cool? And, um, and that was always, I guess, in the back of my mind, whatever drove me towards trying to do kind of storytelling in that mode. Um, Had you always been a writer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, always. Even before I started, like, working in, um, in, in TV to be, like a, a, like, a correspondent at MTV and then mm-hmm. at CBS. Um, uh, yeah, that was always how I self-identified. Um, you know, I, I got a chance to study under a really amazing guy named Terry Southern at Columbia University wow. right before he passed away. Um, who, what, where? My girlfriend gave me a book by Terry Southern. Dude, he's, I mean, he was, like, it's one of those experiences where, like, you know, you just meet this guy who sees the world and has these points of references that just blow your mind open. And, um, yeah, it was after that, I don't think that there was much turning back. I just kind of lucked into a reporting gig for a little while, but always wrote on the side. Cool. Uh, Emily, what was the stuff that you were watching, reading, putting in your ears and eyes uh, growing up? When I was young, and I think it's before I even sort of consciously made any decision to be a writer, but I, I really, I love comedy, and sort of, I, I mean, honestly, Steve Martin, Christopher Guest, Woody Allen, uh, Tina Fey, certainly, but I do remember watching um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and just, <laughs> I just <laughs> laughing so hard, and I still, it's, it still has some of my... Um, my favorite lines are from that movie. Um, and so I do have, yeah, just, just memories of really enjoying myself, and it was, you know, watching a movie like that. And do you then, remember... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, well, I was going to say in terms of, like, real life, just David Mamet had, like, a huge influence sure. on me and, then, and being able to work with him, and he, he was largely responsible for me getting my first job. I mean, but so that was... And, and just, I was a huge fan of his mm-hmm. work anyway, and so that was, uh, Do you remember being aware for the first time that someone had written something... That you yeah. liked or and that I you responded think, to? Hmm. I think I, I studied a lot of theater and was always interested in theater. I think that was sort of how I first became aware that people were, were writing things. Um, and, but it really wasn't until later in, in college that the, I, I, I had already come to love the idea of writing, um, but also to love the idea of making a living. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it was only in college that those two ideas sort of, I, I, when I, 
it really didn't dawn on me until then that there were like people were writing television shows and writing movies and that that was like a viable career. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not that I didn't like understand that concept, but just the idea that it was something well, the, I could do. Exactly, yeah. the idea it's something yeah. that you can do that goes a long way. Yeah, uh, Andy, what about you? Uh, um, I, I was a Python nerd, uh, mm-hmm. definitely. Monty Python was probably the biggest uh, early comic influence, and then later uh, Kids in the Hall. Just really loved when they. I just. I, I love both of them that they would, uh, that they would go for it and that they didn't care about endings. Uh, 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 something so freeing about that. Um, this is a weird thing that just. Uh, I, now I have a seven-year-old girl and um, uh, her age is not relevant. She's young. It just popped into my head when we were at the bookstore a, a, a few years ago. Um, she picked up this book, and it, like I had this flash of me picking up the same book. It was so stupid. It was, it was Harold and the Purple Crayon. Um, and uh, I remember, what was I, in kindergarten or first grade or something? But it, that, that book seemed so subversive to me <laughs> because the kid is drawing with the crayon. He's drawing an object. He draws a door, and then he walks in the door. He draws a stairway and walks. I mean, I, in, to my young mind, that could be the thing that's still going for me is just that – I don't know. There's something that felt so deliciously irreverent about it that was like, oh, my God, you can – this guy <laughs> – I just picture my, my five-year-old self like, oh, this guy's a genius. <laughs> this guy. This guy. i got to get to know this, whoever's writing this stuff. Um, what are we doing I, but building doors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, awful. I, Come on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Emily has to ha- – no, to no, pile on? Now it's going to be so embarrassing. <laughs> but I – no, I was going to – children's book. Well, I do remember having a moment where it was like it occurs to you that if you're writing, you can take things out of the world of mm-hmm. nonfiction. And that – I think it was that Clifford the Big Red Dog book. Sure. You're, you're just like, that dog is so big. <laughs> 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 We rarely hear that as an influence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, uh, you're right. Actually, on the that, that dog that, is quite yeah, big. That dog is crazy. He is he's very big. We, we have a question here. Hi, I'm sorry. My question isn't very general. It's for Gideon. Um, on the newsroom, how did, like, how was the main news event for each episode decided? Like, who picked it? And how was it decided? And was it at all informed by the characters and how they'd react? Or, like, leveraging, like, experience as a journalist? And, like, how did that? Oh, wow, that's a cool question. Yeah. Um, there's actually a cool answer to that. Um, the first job that we had um, in the room was to build this timeline, and I believe there's something that's like that still up, um, where it literally spanned the entire, uh, like, like it was like wainscoting or something. It just was <laughs> all around the top of the, uh, um, uh, the writer's room, and we did a month-by-month breakdown from uh, episode one was about the, uh, uh, the sinking of the, the, the Deepwater Horizon, um, from that until, um, you know, all the way through basically the beginning of the presidential election. And, you know, there was a lot of research was involved was going into, um, you know, what the big events were. And we divided it. We color coded it. This is a big event in politics. This is a big event in like social news. This is a big event in something that is cultural, like the release of the iPhone 5, you know, like something that people would. <laughs> Can you do something about waiting online or getting somebody to sub you in? Like just anything that could potentially have been an idea, um, and we had that up going around constantly. And then, um, you know, I always with my journalist sort of thing, I was trying to find like those little things, like the tiny little stories that could build out. Um, you know, what was you know, you know, who's the guy that got a Medal of Honor that didn't really get covered? Like, what didn't the news cover? Because that always, to me, struck me as like a really interesting thing to potentially do with the show. Is like what didn't get covered and why? Um, 
and then it was just pitching Aaron, and it was saying, okay, well, you know, with like um, with the Arab Spring when that happened, you know, what's it like to, you know, yeah, we'll exist in the Arab Spring, but what's it like if you have like a, a stringer on the ground who's essentially a freelancer? Um, who is not employed by the news organization and then gets into trouble. What moral obligation do you as a journalist have towards this person? Um, and I thought that was an interesting way to kind of get into it. Um, you know, I, I had a stringer in Baghdad who was attempted to be killed and, you know, called me with like a nugget on the Queen Aaliyah uh, refugee camp outside of Jordan and was like, help me get the fuck out. And Viacom at the time was like, no, no. <laughs> No, we don't touch these people. Like, they help us, but we're not responsible for them. And it was one of the things that really made me leave, like, leave journalism, because I was like, that's morally reprehensible. That seems so un-Sumner-like. Yeah. <laughs> a, a huge corporation. Someone's like, kill him. Like, yeah. Well, it's, you know, when you're 25 years old, like, that's a learning experience. Yeah. That that's a real thing, and that's how people do shit. Um, so that's how we built it, if that yeah. answers your question. Uh, I'm sorry. We, we are just about out of time. No, I'm no. sorry, guys. No. Uh, but I want to hear very quickly, uh, starting with Max and going down the line, uh, what are you watching on television these days? What is getting you inspired? Or what are you watching in the movies or reading that you are enjoying and talking about with your friends or in your writer's rooms? Um, I, I'm very always late to TV. I always watch it, like, after the fact in very quick succession. So I've, like, just in the past couple of years watched The Sopranos and The Wire, which I I, I don't even know what <laughs> oh else can God. They're okay, come. right? Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to the new Arrested Development, mm-hmm. and um, I'm really looking forward... I, I'm eventually going to watch House of Cards, and, um, yeah. That guy loves it. Yeah. You like House of Cards? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm do you want to do your own little Kevin Spacey in. aside right now? Is it good? <laughs> I like it. I'm in. I was very put off by him talking to camera, and I was like... This is what I hear. Uh, you don't have to, but uh, you just buy it, and it's, it's cool. Right. Uh, Gideon, what are you watching? Uh, House of Cards, Nashville, Banshee. Um, uh, how is Banshee? And there, this is another one that's piling up on my Celebration, DVR. right? Like, uh, the lead guy in Celebration becomes the bad guy in Banshee, which is really cool because if you've seen Celebration, you can totally project all that incest stuff on top of him. Um, oh, spoiler alert. Uh, and, uh, if it's been out, it's, it's, you can do it. Lots of community because I think it's one of the, the most hilarious shows on television. Um, Still... St- stick with it. It's okay. I'm just kidding. We're well aware of the problems with season four. There's some great ones coming up. And House of Cards. Definitely House of Cards. Cool. Emily. Um, I've been watching... Uh, I, I watched The Office. I've watched the whole way through. Really, um, really like that show. I have... Let's see. I think I'm behind on Homeland, but loved first season. Mm-hmm. I've got to catch up on season two. Breaking Bad. Um, Top Chef, love Top Chef. Yeah. No one ever mentions it. It's so good. Yeah, I, uh, that's the show I'm totally caught up on. <laughs> it's the only show I watch when it's on. Um, no, it's fantastic. Uh, and I also sort of watch The Wire late. And I, I'm sure, yeah, that's not a new sentiment, but that's, a, that's an amazing show. Yeah, we can, I came to Breaking Bad a little late. I tried it when it first uh, aired, and. Uh, um, uh, didn't take and then after three years of people saying you have to watch the show finally got back in and devoured it yeah the wire thank you for saying Top Chef that's not a show of mine but that frees me to stay Shark Tank oh fucking A right Shark Tank it's like popcorn we can, we've always got two or three Shark Tanks and it's like end of the night just, just, I 
love that show. <laughs> Homeland, uh, Nashville. Love Nashville. I, just, I, I really admire Nashville. I, I don't know why. It just seems effortless. But I guess especially... And drama is a foreign thing to me. I hope to be able to, to do it someday. Because uh, I think I have those instincts, but I don't trust them enough. But it was, it's been very, it was very fun watching Nashville and Smash. Because I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know what the lessons are, but I know whatever Nashville did right, Smash did wrong. You know? <laughs> Please give a round of applause to our panelists Max Winkler, Gideon Yago, Emily Halpern, and Andy Bobber. Uh, thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics, and to 826LA. Give them a round of applause, please. Now leaving Nerdist.com.